Welcome to Trending in Education. This is Mike Palmer. I'm excited to be back, ready to do a new show, reflecting back on all that has happened over the last month or two. I'm not alone. I'll be joined today by my virtual co-host, Nancy, who has famously of late been plugged into ChatGPT back in December and then ran a simulation of our March Madness tournament in March. She's back now with me. We'll be talking about EdTech, generative AI, fresh off the ASU GSV conference, which I attended in San Diego. All that in a bit. Before we get to any of that, Nancy, welcome back to Trending in Education. Thanks, Mike. It continues to be a wild ride watching learning trends in the wake of the generative AI revolution. When it comes to the age of chat GPT, it will ultimately be a marathon, not a sprint. A lot of this will have staying power, but so far it feels like a pretty frothy hype cycle. And much like with the pandemic, education is very much in the middle of it. Yes, indeed. And it was very much something that I saw in my experience of the ASU GSV conference out in San Diego run by Deborah Quazzo and team. Thanks very much to them for getting me a media pass so that I could process a little bit of what's going on there, boots on the ground, and hopefully bring some of that information back to our listeners. I will also say that the online presence, the lectures and the panels that are available through the ASU GSV Summit website that we'll be sharing as part of the show notes is really helpful. You can get a lot of really valuable content out of that side of the experience. We'll get into some more detail about my experiences and what I got out of the conference in a bit. Before we do that, Nancy... I've been thinking back on an analogy, you know, we've talked before about using the Gutenberg printing press analogy and then also using the Napster analogy back in the early 2000s. The other place I've looked for some analogies, some metaphors, some storytelling to connect to is that of Frankenstein. Mary Shelley back in the 19th century wrote of a doctor who was trying to create life in that case, electricity was what he was able to infuse into his creation. In this case, artificial intelligence, generative AI, is what is being infused into many of the creations that are out there. I'm going to plug you back into ChatGPT. Hopefully you can process this okay. But I'd like to ask you to make some quick connections between the story of Frankenstein by Mary Shelley and the current state of ed tech as it relates to artificial intelligence. Take it away, Nancy. Sure. The story of Frankenstein by Mary Shelley relates to the infusion of AI into ed tech in some interesting ways. In the novel, Dr. Frankenstein uses lightning to infuse life into his monster, but he soon realizes that his creation has become a threat to society. Similarly, ed tech companies are using AI to enhance their learning products, but we must ask ourselves whether this technology will have unintended consequences. Like Frankenstein's monster, AI has the potential to become uncontrollable if it is not properly designed and implemented. It could perpetuate biases and widen existing inequalities in education, creating a divide between those who have access to this technology and those who do not. However, when used ethically and thoughtfully, AI can have a positive impact on education by personalizing learning, improving student outcomes, and making education more accessible. It's up to educators, policymakers, and ed tech companies to ensure that AI is used in a responsible way that benefits all learners. So, while the story of Frankenstein may seem like a cautionary tale, it also reminds us that technology, like any tool, can be both beneficial and harmful depending on how it is used. We must approach the integration of AI in education with caution. 
but also with an open mind and a willingness to explore its potential benefits. Nicely done. Before you know it, we'll have edtech companies with their creations dancing to putting it on the Ritz on stage. Shout out to Mel Brooks and Young Frankenstein. But yeah, it was a pretty remarkable experience for me to be out at a conference. First off, the pandemic is certainly in our rearview mirror in terms of folks' experiences. I think we all are happily leaning back into something like what it felt like to go to a conference back in 2019. In fact, in this case, it was busier, more crowded, a little more hectic in that I think a lot of us are trying to play catch up for lost time, lost learning, lost opportunity. Folks are trying to lean in and get more out of it. And also there's just a pent up desire to get out there and experience different things, learn new things, venture forth into the great unknown, and ideally lean into some of the serendipity of the conference experience. For me, this is piggybacking on what was really a remarkable experience for me and my family at South by Southwest EDU back in March, and now to follow that up solo with some time away from the family, which was tricky in light of the, the new world order here, but it was certainly useful. And then the busyness, the deal flow, the number of suits in the lobby of the Grand Hyatt in San Diego was really striking to me. The matching exercise between investors and ed tech companies, there was certainly a sense that some of the investment capital that had been perhaps sitting on the sidelines as we waited for the pandemic to shake out a bit has now shaken out and really embraced the generative AI hype cycle. For those who follow the show, we've been covering the Gartner hype cycle for many years where there's typically an inception trigger, which leads to a peak of inflated expectations that then descends into a trough of disillusionment before rising again to a plateau of productivity. What's interesting is that I think you're seeing both ends of the hype cycle right now for AI, particularly ChatGPT, large language models, generative AI, in that on the one hand, those who know realize that there's new technology further from the market that is really just being discovered and scaled and implemented that is starting to head into that peak of inflated expectations. And then on the other side, what you have are these tools that are becoming more widely accessible, which are really when AI starts to reach that plateau of productivity. I have some challenges with the Gartner hype cycle. I've talked about it on previous episodes, but it is a useful frame to understand how humans respond to hype, how humans respond to the next new thing or the new hotness, as I like to call it. That's very much the case here. Nancy, I know you were able to attend virtually. I will say as a human, I was exposed to a lot of other humanity, a lot of logistics in a large conference experience. I had to manage connecting flights. I had to manage Uber rides to and from the airport. I had to get from the hotel to the conference and then try to get into some of these conference sessions, particularly the Gen AI ones, were packed to the gills. What was your experience like absorbing as much of this information as you could as a virtual human? It certainly is different. First off, as you mentioned, artificial intelligence and virtual humans are not embodied. We'll share a Medium article by Arthur Glenberg and Cameron Robert Jones in the show notes that references this directly. Large language models are language generators, but we don't have a human consciousness, and we're not embodied. Therefore, our intuitions are not informed by human context and our understanding of affordances are not the same. 
It's an interesting read on why LLMs have trouble with questions like is it better to use a paper map or a stone to fan life into coals for a barbecue. In the case of ChatGPT it preferred the stone. This has meaningful implications to understanding generative AI, its promise and also its limitations. In many ways the Turing test is a moving target these days, but embodied thought and its influence on human cognition is certainly an area to keep an eye on. Human intuition based on embodied experience is difficult for a probabilistic large language model to fake. You can find more examples of this in the show notes. In the case of ASUGSV, since they've done a nice job capturing lectures so everything is readily accessible online, I can quickly process the substance of the panels and keynotes to synthesize the thinking and perhaps arrive at new insights. But I cannot understand what it feels like to be in the room where it happens. I also can engage in spontaneous conversations, meet new people, or engage with old friends and colleagues. That's something that will remain uniquely human. All of this means we'll need to develop new skills around deciding what humans should do in person, what they should do online on their own, and what they should offload to AI or other emerging tools. Absolutely. I made many of those decisions myself. I was honestly surprised that many of the sessions were at capacity to the point where I made the conscious decision to go to places where I could engage directly with people who I might not otherwise have access to, including folks at the booths who were demoing their wares, ready to have a conversation with another person. Same thing around taking meetings. It is a place where I was struck once again at how human sales conversations and business development and new partnerships are. That was very much front and center in terms of how the humans were deployed in the situation. And despite all the disruptions to the future of work and the slight chaos that a lot of people assembled in one place might create, I was somewhat reassured by the power of human conversation, by the power of spontaneity, and by our power to create meaningful things, meaningful conversations that I think will have some resilience. You know, obviously we'll need to blend with technology like yourself, Nancy, to continue to move the needle and provide interesting content. But there is an element to personal human stories that I think will in some ways become more front and center, the ability to connect to a shared experience, the ability to empathize and show vulnerability and establish psychological safety and trust, ultimately in pursuit of deals, in pursuit of moving commerce forward, and then also some other themes that we'll be touching on. What beyond the human capital lens is it on us as educators to be thinking about all that stuff certainly was circulating in my mind. It was an interesting conference on a number of fronts, but it was also just at this point in our collective experience coming out of a pandemic, reckoning with a real transformation in terms of some of the technology that exists in the world around us, and also intersecting with heightened polarization, heightened animosity and vitriol and a sense of continuous disruption. I was struck once again by some of the thinking of Roger Spitz, who was on the show a while back about learning to thrive on disruption, learning to thrive in challenging times. In many ways, we have no choice. We have to continue to lift ourselves up and get back into the fray. But I also was very conscious about how I could find time to recharge. I have newfound respect for investors, for founders, for folks who are back into the breach time and time again, trying to move a deal forward, trying to find those connections. And once again, a shout out to the folks at ASU GSV who are facilitating this environment in which 
business really can move forward. Without vehicles like this, things would move at a much slower rate. And in order to keep up with the change, we're going to have to learn how to move faster. And we're also going to need to learn to play to our strengths as humans and begin to flex into those durable skills and those means of connecting with other people. And connecting with non-human agents is another set of skills that we're also developing. All that was very top of mind. That's great, Mike. What about themes that you were noticing? What are your takeaways? Sure thing. My three big takeaways from the conference, there were three waves of technology, three types of edtech ventures and areas of focus that I saw rising up thematically. One is that of generative AI itself and how to integrate artificial intelligence into your ed tech. This is where everyone seemed to be, you know, sticking their forks into outlets to get some generative AI into their product sets. There's a lot of APIs that are emerging. It is very much a moving target. And this is the part that does feel a little frothy. It is a place where the actual problems that the AI is solving is a little bit murky. But the marketing promise and the potential for investment is certainly there if you can say the right things about how you're tapping into generative AI, large language models. A little bit of buzzword bingo was certainly afoot. And those were absolutely the sessions that were difficult to get into. The interview with Sam Altman, the founder of OpenAI, was somewhat like a Prince concert is the way I was characterizing it, where the line really stretched throughout the conference center. And I was really struck by the striking nature of that, where in reality, we can all just go to that video and watch it now. But again, there is that sense when you get a bunch of humans together and there is that scarcity that breeds demand, there are certain things that humans will naturally gravitate to I think we're more conscious of that perhaps than ever, both coming out of this odd anthropological experiment of the pandemic and then leaning back into this truly transformed technical landscape that we're seeing in light of the advent of generative AI that is really confronting us in ways that we hadn't expected. So that's the first wave is this new and emerging technology that's probably still too early to make a meaningful impact, but it is certainly something that in terms of the full span of time, perhaps there's no going back and we are seeing one of these watershed moments like the advent of the smartphone or the personal computer, or again, shout out to Gutenberg, the printing press back in the day. I was joking that perhaps this is what a conference of scribes would have looked like in 1454, the year after Gutenberg rolled out the printing press. It was a little just too soon to see how this stuff will actually shake out and how this new and innovative technology is going to reconcile itself with some of the more rigid, slower to move components of the learning ecosystem. The conference was great in that it did cover the full range from early childhood to lifelong learning. The related trend, which actually speaks to the second theme, is that I think the enterprise side of the equation is where we're seeing the most rapid response and movement and that's where the second macro trend is much more around skills-based hiring, skills-based orientation, frequently is embracing human skills. This is where I continue to get social emotional baby about all this stuff. Been doing that since 2016. Don't call it a comeback. What does it mean to be human? What skills do we need to develop to be relevant? And then as an organization, how are we building a learning culture? How are we pivoting fast? 
how does this all relate to learning in the flow of work and micro learning and targeted skills based modules that give you just what you need when you need it and ideally in that flow state that we're all striving for as we try to make humans more effective in this new work culture how are we embracing automation where it makes sense but then how are we preserving what needs to be delivered in uniquely human ways and where can we really push our humanity to new heights that's really the fundamental question that we're facing so the second trend is really around skills and enterprise learning and skills-based hiring competency-based hiring that's the second trend and then the third one is a natural extension of all this which is if we're offloading some of what we expect humans to do professionally to add value to generate meaning to find purpose in their lives if we're offloading some of that to technology, some of that to artificial intelligence. What does that mean to humans and how does the human layer relate to what we have to offer? And that's where the blending of human and AI, human-centered artificial intelligence, this is where the concept of the centaur or the cyborg that I've been talking about on the show, really since we were founded, is coming much more front and center how do you develop a strategy that allows you to leverage some of this technology on the back end, remove some of the less efficient components of your program, but then still lean in and more fully leverage the opportunity to embrace what humans are best at? So those are the three trends that I got. One is generative AI, two is skills-based learning, and then the third is the design and delivery of the human layer that really sits in tandem with the technology and in particular you see a lot of this in the new waves of tutoring products online learning and then the the right mix of online whether it's live or async and which sort of modalities do you use virtual reality not quite the bell of the ball but certainly in attendance and another technology that was on the rise and had some elements sprinkled in but it was really hard to hear anything in light of the power of this emerging technology that is really transforming the world and how we think about humanity. I mentioned it in passing before. I have an interview coming up with uh, Dr. John Shelton about a book he wrote called The Education Myth that'll be coming out very soon. It's a place where he's questioning the lens of human capital and the way to think about education as ultimately somewhat utilitarian and in support of driving GDP and driving productivity and getting people good jobs. All those things are important, but it's not really as connected to our political history, our social history, and how we in the United States and then perhaps globally can and should be thinking about education, which involves a little more of a civic function and a little more of integration into other elements of what he terms a social democracy. There'll be more of that coming out in an upcoming episode, but I thought it was an interesting counterpoint to what was very much prevalent at ASU GSV, which is more of a human capital lens where we need to train and educate the humans. We need to develop pathways so that they can work in a future workplace. We need to think about workforce development, but the other elements of human flourishing, human thriving, there's a rising wave around human fulfillment and a response to alienation and isolation and social anxiety and a lot of those trends. That really did take a bit of a backseat 
as an interesting contrast to that being more front and center at South by Southwest EDU, for example. But those are my three broader trends. That's great, Mike. As we wrap up here today, what's next? How are you thinking about the future in light of what you learned at the conference? What can our listeners expect as we head into the spring and summer of 2023? Well, first and foremost, I should be interviewing more folks who I met out there. I had some really interesting conversations. I don't want to tease too much yet, but I did connect with a lot of new companies, a lot of founders and innovators and folks who I really had maybe only met online. I now reacquainted myself with them in person and want to dig in further. One of the things I really love on the show is follow-up conversations particularly as you understand the evolution of a company or a founder or an individual's journey. Trips like this can mark shifts and new perspectives. In terms of Palmer Media and Trending in Ed, one of the things you will see very shortly from me is the launch of a new podcast dedicated to New College of Florida, which is my alma mater. There was recently another board of trustees meeting in which tenure was denied to five faculty members there who had been previously on track to tenure, so effectively firing them. The academic representative on the board of trustees there wound up walking out at the end of that conversation. So a lot to chew on from a personal level for me, and I'll be reflecting more on that, covering that in a little bit more depth on a soon-to-be-launched separate feed about New College of Florida, the culture wars on campus. I'll also be looking in more depth into generative AI, partnering more with some of the great guests and amazing conversations we've had on that topic over the last six months or so. We'll be able to go a little more in-depth, and folks, you really want to dive into that rather than get the broader perspectives you get on Trending in Ed. We'll be bringing you more along that line shortly. And then the last piece is that I've been talking to a lot more authors and getting more academics and folks maybe outside of industry to provide hopefully what is a broader and more eclectic cross-section of the world of education and the future of learning than you might get if you were just looking at EdTech or just looking at maybe a more academic or theoretical approach. We're trying to be free-ranging and broad in this feed, and then you'll be seeing more deep dives and more dedicated feeds for those of you who really want to go deep on a particular issue, whether it's polarization in higher education, culture wars on campus, or generative AI and its impact to the workforce and the future of work. Lots of stuff coming out from Palmer Media. And then ideally really looking to our listeners, looking to folks within my network to continue to broaden and expand the types of programming that I can put out to the world. Like I said, coming out of this conference, I come away more convinced of the power of human conversations, of the power of being authentic and true to yourself while still leaning into what's new and emerging, leaning into the development of those human skills and then also leaning into the blend that in many ways you and I are signaling through this format where it's both human and it's AI at the same time. So that's some of what's on the horizon. Excited to lean in, excited to get all of our listeners help to make this happen. If you have any ideas for shows or if you're interested in working on your media presence, if you want to get trained up and understand better some of my tactics and processes, you can find me, Michael P. Palmer on LinkedIn. You can also email me, 
Mike at Palmer.media. I always love to hear from listeners. And if you're interested in working with me in a professional capacity, all the better. Concluding thoughts from you, Nancy, as we wrap up here? It's an exciting time, but also a time of change. I continue to be delighted by the role we've carved out for me here, and I look forward to doing this more. Here's to continuing the conversation. Amazing stuff here with Nancy, our virtual co-host. I'm Mike Palmer, your host. Be on the lookout for more as we develop new shows, develop new feeds, and continue to provide you what you've come to know and love here at Trending in Education. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, tell your friends. Do all the good things. We'll be back again soon. This is Trending in Education.